Welcome to Impact OC, the only program showcasing the people and organizations shaping Orange County. With your host, Don Camber. Hello, I'm OC Talk Radio Public Affairs Director Don Camber with another great guest positively impacting our community. Today we're promoting National Wear Red Day, which is February 2nd. February is American Heart Month, a time to focus on heart health. Today, I welcome Dr. Andy Lee. He's an assistant clinical professor at UC Irvine and is board certified in internal medicine, cardiovascular disease, and heart failure. Thank you, Dr. Lee, for being on Impact OC. Thanks, Dawn. I'm very delighted to be a part of this program today. Dr. Lee, please tell us about the focus of American Heart Month and National Wear Red Day, which again is February 2nd. Well, as you know, February is American Heart Month, and it's actually quite impressive that it is now um, the American Heart Association's 100th birthday. So uh, certainly it's a great time to be able to wear red and show you know, the world what the AHA is doing. Can you explain what hands-only CPR is and why it's important to learn it? Well, hands-only CPR, that's been a rapid development over the past couple decades in terms of treating cardiac arrest. We have some statistics available where about 350,000 people suffer from cardiac arrest in a year, which is quite a lot, including 23,000 children. We now know how to recognize cardiac arrest. We know that we have to activate emergency services to come and really save a life. But in the meantime, knowing that hands-free CPR is an option is a awesome life-saving maneuver. I know that some people here are sports fans and we've seen what has happened in particular with professional NFL players where someone actually had a cardiac arrest on the field and they were able to get him back and he's been able to be a great advocate for the American Heart Association. So this is something that, you know, even as uh, bystanders, we can kind of learn and then help out. Uh, so in terms of hands-only CPR, you can go and get trained. Um, there's like mannequins in the airport and things like that I've seen uh, where you're just performing chest compressions at about 100 beats per minute. One of the uh, sticking points there is you can just kind of sing Stayin' Alive, the disco song, um, in order to know what the beat is and just perform chest compressions until help, help arrives. What happens when you're doing the hands-only CPR? What actually is going on in the body? Well, um, cardiac arrest is pretty much the heart's completely stopped pumping. It's usually due to like a short circuit of the heart conduction system. So when the heart's no longer able to pump on its own, we can get external help, and that's where hands-free CPR may help. When you are performing external compressions, it's actually squeezing both of the major pumping chambers within the heart to propel blood forward and to provide circulation to the rest of the body until help arrives. So the idea is, can you, by doing that, can you get the, the heart going again, or you do it until you get help? Well, sometimes the heart comes back on its own too, like just being able to restore circulation may help with the, restore the electrical activity. Sometimes we need to get a automatic defibrillator, like an AED unit, which can actually detect the heart rhythm. And if the heart rhythm is so abnormal that it needs to be shocked back into a normal rhythm, that AED can perform that. All right. Well, who is capable of doing hands-only compression? And I'd like to know who is capable of using an AED. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to think that everyone is certainly capable of both of those things, but it does require specific training. And obviously, I wouldn't recommend someone to try to use an AED if they do not have that comfort level. 
Uh, there's different levels of certifications and training that you can get. I'd say that for hands-free CPR, that is quite basic, you know, like, you know, teenagers may go and get trained when they want to go be a lifeguard over the summer or things like that. Um, in terms of using an, a and a, an AED, um, there are various mechanisms to be trained there. Well, no mechanism is through the AHA, the American Heart Association, you can get basic life support training. Can you give us some examples of where both of those could come into play? Yeah. I mean, the scariest moments are probably when someone has a cardiac arrest out in the field, like this can be due to a heart attack, or it could just be because they have a sick heart to begin with, and um, their heart kind of gave out while they were in the field. And in those cases, you would perform CPR, you would call for help, you would get an AED and try to do all those things to save a life until help arrives. Um, other occasional or less common circumstances, like I said, if say a teenager was a lifeguard at the pool and someone drowned, when you drown, you lose oxygen, and then that can also cause cardiac arrest. And uh, certainly those maneuvers may be life-saving uh, as well. What do you think the youngest of an individual can utilize these activities to save a life? Yeah, I'd say like um, when someone's a teenager, you know, like once they're able to kind of watch over other people on their own, especially like say at a pool, you know, if you have a kid that falls into the pool, doesn't know how to swim, if a kid can be a lifeguard or at least pull someone out of the pool when they're in distress and they should be able to perform CPR as well. But you could also be anywhere and suddenly someone could experience what we, I guess, sudden cardiac arrest. Yeah, it, it can happen at any time. That's why it's sudden. Um, you know, sometimes it happens when people are sleeping, which is a very scary situation because at that point, you don't really know how long they've been out, but, you know, you still do all that you can and call for help regardless. Did provide us one statistic where, you know, about 10% of cardiac arrests do happen in public settings, you know, so um, uh, because they do, it is great that uh, we have widely available AEDs and people who are trained out in the community. What are some of the signs of sudden cardiac arrest? Generally may look like someone is fainting, um, you know, at least out in the public. Someone may get weak, they might feel dizzy, they feel, might feel like they need to sit down, and then they may just pass out. Um, so they would faint, and then um, first thing you do is, you, hey, are you awake? If you don't get a response, then you want to check to see if they're breathing, if they have a pulse. And if they don't have any of those things, you need to call for help. Would you call for help and then do hands-only CPR? I would do yeah both at the same time, you know, like get someone to call call nine one one and then do the hands only. Hopefully, you have like you know some other bystanders available to go and you know get a call. At least now we have all uh, all these cell phones available everywhere, right? But you can uh, call for help, or if you know if you need a call for help, then certainly call for help. Put on speaker, start doing the CPR. Um, but at that point, we don't really want to waste any time. What about determining whether to do CPR? Or AED? Well, this that's a great question. You know, like once you are somewhat comfortable with the AED, like what the AED looks like, it almost looks like a little lunch bag. You know, you opened up the lunch bag and it should have like this instruction sheet, like turn on the machine, take these pads, which are very large stickers with electrodes on them and slap it on the front and the back of the patient. And then the machine will even tell you start chest compressions or stop and check for a pulse or stop and check for a rhythm. Um, it'll tell you to do all those things. Uh, it does require a little bit of a basic level of training, but even so, that's where really having even just a bystander help is useful because someone can at least look at those instructions, make sure that everything is um, going on that's appropriate while someone else is performing hands-free CPR. 
Can somebody do something wrong with an AED? Anything's possible, but generally it is um, a fairly self-sufficient tool. The machine, again, it, it's a lunchbox-sized bag, and then uh, the machine almost looks like a small laptop, although it doesn't have a screen. It's got a machine with wires that come out um, attach these pads. So when you apply the pads on, the machine is supposed to be able to talk to you and tell you uh, what you're supposed to do or not do. Um, it's all very basic, like start chest compressions, stop, check for a pulse, things like that. Um, certainly things can go wrong, and um, you know most people do recommend checking the expiration on the AED. Like this is all more just logistical things, but um, uh, these all these things all do have expiration dates. They have battery lives, things like that. So um, as long as all of those uh, checks check boxes are met, then it should work perfectly fine. Explain what heart disease is. Heart disease is um, cardiovascular disease, and the most common of this is atherosclerotic heart disease. Atherosclerosis is the process where uh, cholesterol plaques may build up within the arteries. Um, they may build up within the arteries of the heart or of the brain or other places too. In particular, for cardiovascular disease, that's involving the coronary arteries. Now, when these cholesterol plaques build up, they may rupture, and when they rupture, they cause extreme clotting down the entire artery um, to the point where there's no blood flow. And that's where a heart attack occurs, and then the heart muscle gets starved of oxygen and dies. Uh, this is where it's very important to recognize someone's having a heart attack, because when this happens, it's very time sensitive. They need to um, get evaluated. They need to get to an emergency room that has a hospital that has cath lab capabilities in order to open up that blockage. What's the age that a person can have a heart attack? On average, it's about maybe 40 to 50 for men and then after 50 for women. Um, that being said, there's always uh, various risk factors that can cause unusual presentations like heart attacks earlier in life. In general, other risk factors may be a family history of heart disease, high blood pressure, smoking, um, and of course, high cholesterol. Now, we understand American Heart Association is celebrating 100 years. February 2nd is National Wear Red Day. What do you hope people will do on February 2nd? Well, February 2nd sounds like a big day. I hope everyone wears red. You know, I hope that they remind themselves that, hey, heart disease is the number one killer. This is something that we need to still continue to pay close attention to in order to help out with all of our community members and loved ones. How can people educate themselves and others about heart disease? Well, social media is a big thing now. You know, um, I think that overall the AHA does a great job with um, managing social media and sharing the cause. We can do our part by, say, retweeting or, you know, sharing uh, the latest and greatest um, AHA promotional materials in order to remind others, you know, that, again, it's Wear Red Day on February 2nd and it's uh, heart, heart Month. What can people do to prevent developing heart disease? Prevention of heart disease is very important. You know, I think that overall we've done a great job over the past several decades um, just for community health efforts. Um, we've eliminated trans fats from the diet. You know, we've made school lunches more, uh, more healthy. Uh, we've really cut down on smoking. There's a lot of national initiatives to reduce smoking and tobacco products are heavily taxed and things like that. Now, I think the main issues are just going to be how do we fight the rising obesity epidemic? You know, how do we encourage people to continue to exercise, continue to eat healthy? Um, all of these things go a long ways in terms of uh, lifelong prevention of heart disease.
What is the relationship between smoking and heart disease? What we do know is that smoking is bad for a number of reasons. It can increase the risk of uh, lung cancers and other solid organ cancers as well. It can cause cholesterol plaques. It can cause a lot of different problems. Um, Overall, what we think is that um, the tar from cigarette smoke uh, may cause a increased inflammation, meaning just uh, um, increased fatty deposition of cholesterol plaques within the arteries of the heart. What are the signs of a heart attack for a man and for a woman? The signs of a heart attack for both genders are, there are typical features and then there's some like atypical presentations as well. Most commonly it's described as either chest tightness or chest pressure, like an elephant sitting on the chest. Sometimes people do get other atypical signs or symptoms like just chest pain, sharp pains, arm pains, throat pain. Um, throat pain? Yeah, that's a very unusual unusual symptom, but when a cardiologist hears that, they actually get very worried because it's very specific for a heart attack. Sometimes people do get very unusual symptoms like you know, abdominal discomfort and nausea and things like that. So really, in the end, it's something that we need to be aware of as a possibility. So when anybody visits a doctor, they take your blood pressure. Explain the relationship between blood pressure and possible heart disease. Yeah, blood pressure, I think, is also one uh, aspect that the AHA and other organizations have uh, spent a lot of time focusing on and treating. Um, Overall, blood pressure, uh, particularly hypertension or high blood pressure, increases the risk for developing heart diseases such as heart failure, heart attacks, and uh, even strokes, too, which is not necessarily a cardiac disease, but it is a vascular problem. Um, So because of that, now we do recommend um, blood pressure, at least surveillance um, in all populations whenever they go see their family doc. And then from there, if they do end up having high blood pressure, then it should be something that is monitored and even treated. If a person has high blood pressure, that would be a sign of potential heart disease if it's not controlled? High blood pressure is more of a risk factor for developing heart disease in the future. Like certainly, um, you know, even adolescents may have high blood pressure, although it is a little bit rare. Even so, once it is detected, um, there are various ways to monitor it. Um, A home blood pressure machine is probably the easiest way to do so. But if it does end up running too high, then uh, it's something that is treated with usually uh, lifestyle modifications as well as pharmacologic therapies like drugs. How do you find out if you have heart disease? What tests are conducted? There are lots of different types of tests that we can um, run for heart disease nowadays. Um, I'd say the basic testing would be blood tests like a cholesterol panel as well as um, an ECG, like an electrocardiogram to see what the um, electrical activity of the heart looks like. From there, we can get into more detailed testing. There's um, ultrasounds of the heart, there's CAT scans of the heart, and there's even invasive procedures like an angiogram that we can conduct to search for heart disease. If a person is diagnosed with heart disease later in life, could it be attributed to their lifestyle earlier in life, thus diet? Oh, totally. I think that a lot of it is just um, precursors and like lifestyle issues that probably got unchecked uh, for a very long portion of a patient's life. You know, like in the end, prevention is the best way to prevent disease. And it's something that I think more efforts need to go into still. So when you say that, what do you recommend parents do for their children? Because likely they need to have a healthy lifestyle that could allow them to have a healthy lifestyle later on to avoid these diseases. 
Certainly. I think that um, overall, you know, like all, all children have pediatricians now, like um, there's been national initiatives just to get um, kids into clinic and seen by some providers in order to make sure they're getting all of the requisite testing and surveillance and things like that. From there, it uh, is making sure that all of the lifestyle adjustments, you know, uh, that are necessary can be done. So making sure the kids are going out to play enough, um, uh, making sure that they're avoiding, again, trans fats and saturated fats and high salt foods and processed foods. I think it's all about lifestyle, you know, like we don't want to push drugs on kids. That's just not really uh, a desirable thing, you know, but doing all the things that we can to help with lifestyle, I'd say that's where the focus needs to be. So American Heart Association is 100 years old. Do you believe that it's fulfilling its mission to really allow people to be aware of heart disease, to prevent it so that maybe it won't be number one killer anymore? I do think that, um, you know, we're doing a great job and then more work needs to be done because as you end up, as you prevent heart disease, then other medical problems can kind of take over and threaten someone's life and livelihood, like cancer and heart disease kind of, you know, switch places here and there from time to time. But as people survive their cancers, then they're going to end up living longer, right? And heart disease is still going to be a major problem in those patients. So uh, I'd say it'll be a concerted concerted effort to uh, make sure that we are both treating, we're um, doing all of the things we can to prevent disease, we're um, detecting disease when it occurs, and we're treating all of those patients appropriately. Basically, when it comes to exercise, how much exercise should a person have on a daily and or weekly basis? Exercise is great, and it's not, it's something that I think a lot of us are not doing enough. Um, the recommendation, expert recommendations are about 150 minutes a week of exercise. So that comes out to be about 30 minutes, a, uh, 30 minutes, five times a week. Not only that, but they even recommend uh, strength training, like uh, muscle training twice a week, which I think uh, many people are not doing enough. Um, so certainly we need to spread that message as well. And why are you passionate about educating the public about heart disease? I mean, look, we want the community to be well, right? I think that it should be a passion for everyone. Like, we don't want to, and we don't want to see our neighbors and our friends and family um, spiraling downwards and, you know, becoming obese, developing all these medical problems, and then having a poor livelihood. So, I think really when it comes down to cardiovascular disease and prevention, it's not just cardiovascular disease, it's also like general health, too. So, I, I, I think that it's a fairly um, concise message here, you know, focus on lifestyle, exercise, eat right don't smoke. These are all things that can not only prevent heart disease, but also uh, help with general livelihood as well. What made you want to get into this field? Well, gosh, I mean, helping people's uh, highly fulfilling, you know, um, this is highly relevant to the majority of the population. And um, look, there's so much work that can be done, right? Like, you have probably greater than 50% of the population that's obese, you know, no one's exercising enough, no one's eating the right stuff. Just being able to address these things, you know, and then help people do better. I think that's a huge win. And also treating the disease. Are there, you know, more treatments to treat it so that people won't necessarily die from it? Oh, there's great medicines now, you know, like, um, I'd say that maybe just 20 or 30 years ago, like we were still on like our first generation blood pressure meds and our cholesterol meds, like all these meds, which, um, over the past two or three decades now have had Iterations where the uh, medicines have improved, they're more uh, efficacious, there's fewer side effects, uh, they make 
cholesterol levels all look better. They're really good at treating blood pressure now. Um, overall, like we have great medical therapies, you know, and I'd say uh, definitely get in touch with your doctor if you uh, are interested in, you know, making sure you're on all of the best meds because um, it's really a conversation that is a great investment in someone's life. What age should a person be screened for heart disease? I'd say um, when you talk about lifespan, you know, like during adolescence, I would say like, it's probably a good time just to make sure there's not any unusual genetic cause for heart disease, like genetically high cholesterol, things like that. Uh, after that, it'll, it'll, it should occur maybe every um, five years or so. Just a cholesterol panel, um, blood pressure, blood counts, things like that. Those are all pretty basic uh, screening techniques, uh, but it is very um, useful because if you catch someone that has some undetected high blood pressure or high cholesterol, it's something that we could intervene much earlier before any trouble starts. Because many times adults find out that, oh my goodness, I had a heart issue that was undiagnosed when I was younger. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Um, I, I do think that that still occurs sometimes. And, um, you know, we, we have great tools now, like uh, ultrasounds of the heart, like the uh, picture quality there is excellent, you know, um, to the point where, yeah, back when we only had stethoscopes and um, pretty primitive ultrasounds, we weren't able to see some of those problems. Um, nowadays, you know, uh, they are able to detect a lot of these different problems and um, uh, get the people on treatment if needed. What websites can people go to to get more information? I'd say um, heart.org. Uh, that's the official website of the American Heart Association. That's a really great resource. They have a lot of informational pamphlets there, a lot of uh, figures, cartoons, you name it, they got it. Um, that's a great resource. I think they have some uh, collaborations in social media as well, which um, provide very nice infographics. Like sometimes on Instagram, I'll see, oh, you know, like this Taylor Swift song has 110 beats per minute, which is appropriate for hands-free CPR, you know, like these kind of little uh, reminders are, they make you smile, you know, but then it's also something where you don't really forget about what they're doing. And again, February 2nd is National Wear Red Day to bring awareness to the importance of being educated about heart disease. Thank you, Dr. Andy Lee, for being on Impact OC, and I thank everyone for tuning in. I'm OC Talk Radio Public Affairs Director Don Camber. Have an impactful day. You've been listening to Impact OC, the only program showcasing the people and organizations shaping our community. Right here on Orange County's only community radio station, OC Talk Radio.